Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. What does it mean when a company's share price falls to cheap prices and executive insiders don't buy more? My question is, how much of your portfolio should you put into like ETFs and mutual funds? I had a question about Dutch Bros. It's going to be a new IPO. And provides unbiased answers. I think the bet on the raw materials that go into electric cars are going to be far better than the electric car producers. Invest Talk across America and around the world. Your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, March 17th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I am Justin Klein, and I'm excited to have you for this hour and give you unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. And in this time of transition, transition from what we've experienced over the past 30 plus years of disinflation, globalization, uh, and that's reversing. Started with COVID, now we have a war, and clearly we are reversing a lot of the trends that we've seen, that we're used to. So what does that mean? That means you have to get used to new trends, a new investment environment. Not all markets are the same. The market that you are experiencing today is drastically different from one you were experiencing three, four years ago. And you need to adjust your thinking. Another thing that you need to adjust, which most people do not understand, is that most people think inflation is bad for stocks. Most people think that. Most people would be wrong. In fact, broadly, stocks are good inflation hedges. Why? Because companies can raise prices. Margins over the long term tend to stay the same. And you have higher prices, that means you have higher earnings. Now, that does depend on which sector of the market you're talking about, which area of the economy you're talking about. But in general, stocks are good inflation hedges. Probably didn't know that. Probably think, oh, inflation is crazy. Sell, sell, sell. Not really. Remember, it all has to do with earnings. Most people are distracted by headlines, by stories, by grandiose statements. But at the end of the day, what the market cares about is how does this impact earnings? The market doesn't care about the humanitarian crisis in Europe, doesn't. You may care about it, I may care about it, the market doesn't care. The market cares about earnings. And so as you go through these stressful, trying, confusing times, 
you always need to take a step back, try to filter out the emotions and look at the facts on the ground and how it impacts earnings. And that's the second order effect to how these events impact the economy. So my goal on this podcast, as always, is going to operate with my mission statement, which is independent thinking and shared success. So now what I'm speaking about, the market as a whole, an economic figure, a stock, an asset class. I'm giving you the facts as I see them, using the data in front of me, as well as 20 plus years of investment experience. So I encourage you to reach out to me with your finance and investment questions right now during our live stream program from four to five Pacific time. And you can leave a question on our invest talk voice bank as well. If you're listening after hours, either way, the number never changes. It's 8899 chart. So let's get right to our first listener question now. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Paige. I wonder if you could tell me your thoughts about Otis Worldwide, Otis Worldwide in the current climate, O-T-I-S. Back in 2020, you let us know that it was going to IPO, the elevator company. And I've kind of been curious to watch it since then, um, wondering it, what price you would consider buying it and where it fit in the current cycle. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. This is Otis Worldwide. They manufacture and distribute elevators, escalators, and other moving products. And actually, I believe this was a spinoff. I don't think it was an IPO. It was a spinoff. What was the company? Another large industrial company. But this is still pretty large. $32 billion market cap. So it's to earn $3.29 this year, up from $3.01 last year. And so it's to make $3.71 next year. So uh, on average, 10% earnings growth, pretty solid. Growth has slowed down from the last few quarters. So the question is, is the multiple kind of too high? Right now, trading on a forward multiple, definitely north of uh, a 20, kind of around the 20 range, which is... which is not fantastic, but it's a quality business. Uh, And once again, you're always going to pay up for quality. It's okay to pay up for quality. Now, what is our fair value? Around $73, now it's at $76. So it's about fairly valued. I like the business, I like the company, good consistent cash flows, return equity, very solid. Uh, They are whittling out, they do have a decent amount of debt, so uh, I, I would like them to bring that down a bit. But this is a very old business and consistent business. And so I like that. Now, what worries me a bit is where do you find elevators and escalators? In the commercial real estate space. And we've talked about how that area is struggling, especially with rents for office buildings. And how will that impact them over the next 10, 15 years? Especially if we have an oversupply now of office buildings, and that's going to slow down dramatically in my mind. Now they do def- they do make money off of uh, maintenance. So those buildings are still going to be there, but are their elevators going to be used as much? Are the escalators going to be used as much? That's my worry. And so 
I like the business. I do worry a bit about some secular headwinds, um, but, and it's not cheap. It's kind of fairly valued. I want cheapness and it's not cheap until, let me find a technical level. You know, see, this is hard because there's not a lot of technicals. It only goes back to 2020. So you go to a weekly chart, it's not really that big. Um, so I'm going to go based on price. I want at least a 20% discount to that $73 level. So around 60, that would be my level to pick it up. All right. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. What does the Fed's rate hike mean for borrowers, savers, and homeowners? It's about the cumulative effect of rate hikes and what impact will that will have on the economy and household budgets. So we're going to look at that. Also, <clears throat> what did the bond market say about the Fed rate hike yesterday? Because I've talked about this before, that the bond market is smarter than the stock market. And so it's always good to unpack what signals we saw out of the bond market. Next, shoppers. Are they finally revolting on higher prices? Before, companies could kind of pass through higher prices fairly easily. Well, there are signs that that's not as much the case. So we're going to look at that data as well. Now let's look at the market today. We had the S&P up 53 points, a little over 1%. Nice follow through from yesterday's reversal. And we are entering some, some resistance. What's interesting about, and I've, I've, I've discussed this before, is the NYSE. And we're back into, we've been in this long trading range for nearly a year now, since last April. And we for we briefly broke below it, below the support level uh, last week, and we closed the week below it. And I was interested to see, are we going to close again? Are we going to confirm the week below it uh, once again? And so far, unless we have a major reversal tomorrow, that's not going to confirm. So that's going to be interesting. We're back into kind of the midpoint of where equities have traded over the past year or so. So we continue to be in this consolidation phase. And I know a lot of people look at rate hikes and they say, oh, well, that's going to create an economic crash or something. Well, remember, the market, the economy is multifaceted. It certainly does bring down um, some liquidity in the market, but it's not quite at the, at the level yet, at least that's what the market's telling us, that it's going to cause a recession. So a lot of cross currents here, the market, a nice bounce off of yesterday's announcement and into some resistance. I will say that, and we remain within consolidation overall. Now, Steve and I are grateful for your podcast support and our free downloads will continue. So I want to make you aware of two other ways to find our material and unbiased guidance. One is our YouTube channel and our Instagram, Instagram account as well. We're building out more content on both platforms. So head over to those platforms and search Invest Talk. The Invest Talk phone lines are open, so give me a call now at 888 Shark. Mm-hmm. 
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hey guys, this is Kyle calling from Washington State. I've just got a question about transferring either cash or equities from individual taxable account into a Roth IRA. I'm assuming if I transfer cash, it's just going to be deducted from my 6000 cap for the year. But I'm wondering what happens if I transfer shares or a whole position? Does it get deducted from my max contribution at the value of it at the time I trade it? Or is there any considerations or things to think about when transferring things over like that? Thank you guys very much. Appreciate all you do. Have a good one. All right. Easy question. You cannot transfer securities. You can only transfer cash. A lot of people try to do that. Oh, I'm going to transfer my position and that's going to avoid capital gains. Uh -uh. You can only make IRA contributions with cash. Now you can convert from an IRA to a Roth IRA, you can do a Roth conversion with positions, but a contribution, which is different than a conversion, is done with cash only. Hope that helps. Thanks for the call. 888 chart 888 Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for their courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. And we're going to go to Jeffrey in Alabama. It says, I would like to get your analysis and a good entry point for a for UGI. UGI. This company would be added to my dividend growth and income portfolio for a five-plus year time horizon. So long-term. Now, it has come down. It is a company that has interest in propane and butane distribution, natural gas, and electric, electric, electric distribution. Excuse me. So a bit diversified, it has come down pretty dramatically here. So why is that? Okay, so earnings this year are supposed to be flat, $2.96. And next year, $3.39 in earnings. But analyst expectations are coming down. And the one, my, my, my question is, why is that? Because their cost of, yeah, this is interesting. What's really hitting it? Is it the cost of the propane? I'd, I'd really have to understand that is what's been, what's caused the stock to be down 27% from its 52 week high, which is unlike a utility or an oil and gas company in this market. So that's my concern is that this is, this has some sort of um, commodity risk. And I'd really have to dig into the business, understand their business. It looks like it's it's quite com complex. And the market's telling me that it's being hurt by higher commodity prices. It's not being helped. And that's what I don't like. And so that's why I would step back. I really need a deep, deep dive on this for me to get comfortable with it. If I'm comfortable with the the, the commodity risk there, then I, I would think it's relatively cheap. But I don't like the way the stock has reacted. <clears throat> now we're moving into a break. So give me a call. 888 chart This is Invest Talk. 
and you're ready for unbiased investing guidance, right? Of course you are, because it can help you achieve financial freedom. Steve Peasley is here now, and he's taking your calls live. So step up with your questions, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today is based on the story behind this question. What does the Fed's rate hike mean for borrowers, savers, and homeowners? Now, the war in in Europe has given the Fed reason to act a bit more cautiously, but based on their rhetoric yesterday, they are more more focused on bringing in 40-year high inflation. And the question is, how is this going to impact the average borrower, this average saver, the average homeowner? Now, one Fed rate hike isn't going to have that much of an impact. And remember, the market is always pricing in expectations for future movement of rates. And so a lot of what you see now of 30-year mortgage above 4%, a lot of that has to do with pricing in already signaled rate hikes in the future. So it's really about the cumulative effect of actual action and expected action going forward. Now, if you have an adjustable rate mortgage, home equity line of credit, that's typically pegged to the prime rate and you're directly affected. ARMS adjust once a year, adjustable rate mortgages, and HELOCs adjust immediately. So those are the people that would fill it probably the, the quickest, HELOC uh, borrowers, and then credit card borrowers as well. Those typically adjust higher because those rates are variable. Now, it typically takes a billing cycle or two, but you'll start to feel it. Now, you can call your credit card issuer, negotiate a better rate, do zero balance transfers, consolidate high interest credit cards, those type of things. So that'd be a good, good idea. Now, if you're a home, potential home buyer, you're in a tough spot. Borrowing rates are going up, but the movement in the housing market is typically very slow because it takes 60, 90 days to move a home, even in a tight market like this. And so the prices you're seeing of actually sold homes those are reflecting mortgage rates in the low threes, high twos sometimes. That was long ago. Now of a new market, it's going to change affordability at the margins and bring inventory higher, demand lower. But we're coming from a tight market already. So it's not like it's going to adjust prices very quickly. So that's where we're at there. Now, savers, typically when the Fed raises their Fed funds rate, savings rates go up. The problem is right now is that banks have a ton of excess reserves, meaning they don't need to go out there and compete for your your cash. So they don't have a lot of incentive to raise their rates. And that's why 
Online savings accounts typically have three times higher rates than the average from a traditional brick and mortar bank. And so that's where you're going to get the best yields. Still probably far below inflation, but at least you'll get better than what you're going to get in your traditional uh, bank. Let's go to Alberto in San Jose. Wants to look at UPS and FedEx. Yes, hello. Love your show. Um, I was looking to get into uh, one of those two companies, UPS or FedEx. I know they do a lot of business, fly products all around the world. Which one would you think is a better uh, company to invest in right now? Now, this is one of those interesting ones because they pretty much do the same thing. UPS, FedEx, do you really care who ships your package as long as it gets there? Probably not. But the pandemic shed light on their management practices. UPS workers are part of a union. They're paid fairly well. UPS has the stability of that workforce. FedEx, not so much. They don't use union workers. And that means they've had problems with their ability to secure good workers. They've had to raise their their pay, which has hurt margins. And they don't have this cohort of workers that have been around for a long time that are loyal to them. And so they've struggled. And so that's why they pay, uh, they traded a discount, 12 times earnings, UPS 18 times earnings. But in this environment, I actually think it's important to have a strong, stable workforce that you pay well, that you have a history with, that you aren't worrying about labor shortages. And so I'm actually going to pay up for UPS. The technicals are a lot stronger, even though you're paying a bit of a premium. I rather have a stable workforce. And so I'm going with UPS over FedEx. Now, the next and best talk, the story behind this headline. Hedge funds are doubling down on commodity bets. Commodities have been a clear winner on Wall Street this year as global demand and the war in Ukraine strain supply. That story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99 Chart. My name is Conrad. I am a longtime listener, and I just have a very interesting question that I think a lot of your listeners would benefit from. Part of my portfolio is in preferred shares, and I'm calling regarding a company called Cedar Realty, CDRPRC, which is issue C of the preferred share. You know, I kind of buy that because the payout is before the common stock, and I'm kind of looking into getting some decent yielding stocks, and that was one of them. Something happened today. They announced they're going to be selling the company. So what normal thing is the common stock goes up by 15%, makes sense. But the preferred shares tumbled down 60%. And I'm kind of very confused what happened. So I did research, and it sounds like a private company will buy it for a cash premium, cash deal. And then they will leave all the preferred shares listed on stock exchange on the same tickers. So I'm not quite sure why would that happen that a seemingly little bit safer investment, the common stock is going up while this preferred seemingly more safer or vehicle is tumbling down 60%. I've never heard of anything like that. Like I, I would expect them to buy it out or buy it out even at the par value of 25 bucks. So I was wondering if you can just uh, give me a little bit more feedback on why it happened, what could be happening and what to expect. I appreciate it. I will be looking forward to hearing your answer at the podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. All right. This is a great question. I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions in, in, in months. And because it just shines the light on why I don't like preferred shares. Now, a lot of people think of shares and they think of stock and they think of ownership in the business. Uh-uh-uh. You do not own any part of the business. Preferred shares are actually more like debt instruments than they are equity ownership. And this is a perfect example why. Cedar Creek got bought out for $29 per share, CDR. Well, what did the common stock do? Went all the way up to 28, so it's gonna trade at a slight slight discount, but you know, right right around that level. Uh, And that's what the equity holders are going to get. But as a preferred shareholder, you are now forced to have a different creditor. This new one is called Wheeler REIT, W-H-L-E-R, W-H-L-R is the symbol, Wheeler REIT. And they don't pay a dividend. They don't seem very big, kind of interesting to me. It's an odd combination. If I'm, if I'm being honest with you, 
uh, I don't. I have to look at the balance sheet. What is what does their balance sheet look like? What type of leverage are they taking on in order to make this acquisition? That's what it seems like because WHLR is a lot smaller, so they're probably borrowing a lot of money, leveraging up the balance sheet, and you as the preferred shareholder, you are behind first lien creditors, normal bondholders, second lien bondholders. If they go bankrupt, if this combination doesn't work, you're going to get paid way back in line. And so the fact that this fell so dramatically is the market telling you that we're not very confident in this combination in the balance sheet that the, the combined entities will, will have. And you as the preferred shareholder, you you don't you can't vote on it. You're on the debt side. You're not on the equity holder side. And now you're sitting way behind a lot of other creditors if this combination doesn't work. And this is why I don't like preferred shares. You don't have the upside of equity holders and you don't have nearly the protection of traditional bondholders. You're in the middle. Yeah, you get a nice yield. But you don't you don't have great protection on the downside, you don't have great upside. Perfect example why I don't like it. Perfect. That's why I love this question. It's a great example of why it's not the greatest to be a preferred bond shareholder. Thanks for the call. Let's go. Uh, we're going to go to another iTunes review question. Don says, you've taken several calls recently advising that it would be better investment to buy ETFs and energy utilities, several others over the S&P. I'm wondering what you think about XLE and XLU. Would it be better to wait until the Russia-Ukraine conflict ends and assume the price will come down? No. Um, I mean, you're, you're assuming a lot that the conflict will end. That's, I think, a big bet. Putin is kind of pot committed. He needs to come away with something, a value that makes this whole mess worthwhile. And I think he's going to keep throwing good money after bad. And so I wouldn't be waiting for a resolution of the Ukraine crisis. I'd be buying on pullbacks of XLU and XLE if you want to uh, play sectors as a whole. I like them both. So good question. All right, let's pivot over to the bond market. We talked about how Fed rate hike affected is going to affect individuals, borrowers, savers, etc. But what is the bond market saying? Well, the initial reaction was that treasury rates went a bit higher. Two year treasury notes were up from 1.85 to 1.95. So about 10 basis points. 10-year went from 2.16 to 2.185. So only about a quarter, about two, about two and a half basis points there. And 30-year actually fell from 2.50 to 2.46. So about five basis points. So what that is, is a yield curve flattening. And so that is a signal from the bond market that they're going to reach their limit sooner. That 
financial conditions, economic conditions are going to slow based on their movement and expected movement going forward, then maybe they're going to stop their hikes sooner than previously expected, even though Fed officials actually moved up their average expectation for the Fed funds rate by the end of the year. It's now on average 1.9%. 12 out of the 16 had it between 1.75 and 2%. So the average is about 1.9. Now going out a couple of years, next year, 2024, that's not as certain of what the Fed's going to do. Inflation could change. A lot could happen in a year or two. Now, what is now you might interpret that as, well, that's negative for the market. And that's true. But what was interesting is what had even a bigger reaction and a bigger reaction the other way. And that was corporate bond spreads. They have been falling, which is actually a signal from the, the bond market that go ahead and raise rates. We don't think there's going to be a recession. We don't think there's going to be major defaults. We're fine. And that was the most interesting to me. And even if you look at economic data, data came out yesterday morning on retail sales. Now they missed February forecast of 0.4%, came in at 0.3, but January was upgraded from 3.9, or sorry, 3.8 to 4.9. So the economic data continues to come in pretty decent, slowing, but decent. But when it comes to the signal of the bond market, that was the most impactful thing for me is what did yield spreads do? And they actually tightened, which is bullish for risk assets. And that's why you're seeing a rally in the markets. Now let's get back to the Investock Voice Bank. This came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Brooke from Michigan. I just had a question and hoping to get some of your insight on putting my money away a long term. I know you guys talk about putting money into the SMP, but what's your thoughts on putting into ticker symbol SPXL three times the SMP? I'm 25, so this would be long term. Just looking to get your thoughts on putting it into SPXL versus the SMP. Thank you. Looking to your forward to hearing the answer. All right, great question. And this is a this is a question I've had in a while. And now we have a lot of new listeners over the past couple of years. But this is a leveraged ETF. Remember, leveraged ETFs are for trading only. You only want to hold them for a short period of time, not long term. Okay. So what people generally think is well from about about if I'm falling on the S&P S&P is doing 10% a year and you go three times leverage. Well, I'm going to long-term, I'm going to do 30% a year. The problem is what it's called tracking error and what the cost is to create this leverage. And when things go badly, they go really badly. Uh, and that's the issue is market goes down 30%. This goes down 90%. And then getting that back, you, you just can't get that back in the same way. And that's what you've seen here recently. SPXL from its 52 week high, about $147 per share, hit a low around 
93. Okay. And so that's a much bigger, more than three times the drawdown in the S&P. So how these things work is they're really great when the market's fine, but they're really terrible when the market is is not doing great. And over time, that creates a tr what are called tracking error, and you're not getting three times leverage over the long term. It's actually going to underperform the S&P long term. So remember, leverage ETFs, whether it's this one or any of the other ones, they're for trading only. They are not for you to buy and hold long term. You should hold them for max two weeks. Now you're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and Yes, we all need to develop strategies to help us better manage volatility, our emotions, and the risks in the market. And one thing I know for sure is that you cannot allow the headlines to deter you from your ultimate objectives, whether that's retirement or some other broad goal. You need to take steps now to optimize your portfolio and deal with the recent market volatility. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California. We want to help you. If you need some advice on whether your strategy is fit for this environment, whether you're, whether you have the temperament, the risk tolerance level to reach your goals, I encourage you to reach out and schedule a free portfolio review via telephone or go to meeting. No cost, just send us a message through investtalk.com. And now I'm here ready to provide unbiased answers to your finance and investment questions. So we're taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. The Invest Talk Voice Bank never closes. I have a question for you about Amazon. So your questions keep coming. Question about P.E. ratios. And that's okay because Steve Peasley and Justin Klein specialize in unbiased guidance. If I'm looking at a dividend company, I'm looking for consistency of earnings and dividends. Your standard daily chart typically goes back one year. Steve and Justin are fearless. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, I was looking to make a play on nickel as it seems as if there is a supply shortage. So I was looking at BHP Group Limited, ticker BHP. Want to know what you guys thought was? So yeah, I'll always come to the podcast. All right, looking at BHP and the issue with uh, the issue with nickel is there's not a lot of pure plays in the nickel space. And BHP does have some exposure here, I believe. Let me see. I'm just looking at this description. I haven't looked at BHP recently, um, but it is a broad diversified miner. The, the main issue though, is that it's tied to iron ore prices. And because of what's happening in, in China, um, and they banned imports of iron ore from Australia, where a lot of BHP's mines are, and that becomes your primary risk is what happens with iron ore, metallurgical coal, coking coal, 
these are the main revenue drivers, the BHP, not nickel. They probably have a bit of nickel exposure. I'm not seeing that here in, in what I'm looking at, but they are broadly diversified. So it would not shock me, but this is not a good pure play. It's not even a decent play because of the overriding exposure you're going to have to iron ore prices, coal prices, etc. So if you're looking to play nickel, this isn't one I would go with. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to give me a call, you want to do it right now. Get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. How are you guys doing? This is Matt in uh, Connecticut. I had a question about Lados Holdings, L-D-O-S. have a small position with it. Uh, it really wasn't doing anything for the past uh, year or so and has had a nice little bump with the Ukraine crisis. So it, it's a good kind of uh, defense play there. But just wanted to get your thoughts on it. Prior to the crisis, I was thinking about moving on. Happy I held on for a little bit. Just wanted to see what you guys thought about the stock. If you thought it was uh, a hold or uh, a good place to trim or even remove the whole position. Thank you. All right, this is Lidos Holdings, and this is a company that is pretty tightly wound into uh, major government entities, U.S. Department of Defense, intelligence community, British Ministry of Defense, and their main focus are uh, intelligence and surveillance, cybersecurity, complex logistics, energy, and health. So they are a consistent uh, earner and grower. And they trade at a decent multiple, 15 times, uh, actually 13 times forward earnings. It was 1.4%. And its return equity is in the high teens, which is good. Been buying back shares and a, what's their debt level? Yeah, minimal amount of debt compared to their, their revenue and their cash flow. So I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I, I actually... I actually kind of like it. I'd be buying more, to be honest with you. That was L-D-O-S, Lidos Holdings. 8899 chart, 8899242278. Let's touch on, lastly, the consumer. And what's interesting is that apparel retailers and department stores are starting to see some resistance of kind of basic items and increasing in prices and the ability for them to pass on this inflation to their consumers. And what this is showing is that the consumer, especially on the mid to, to low end consumer, they are, I think, running a bit out of ammunition, cash from the government that they have used to solidify their balance sheets, their personal balance sheets. And 
it's not just about higher gas prices, higher energy prices. It's also about being able to go out, eat out, travel. So they're doing a lot of those things as well. So before it was, well, I can't go spend this money to eat on services, on travel. I was all buy goods. They're not doing that nearly as much. And this is a trend that I think you're going to continue to see. And this is going to impact a lot of companies that you're, you might own, you might be looking at, and you might be looking at their earnings for last year. Problem is, for the vast majority of them, there's going to be peak earnings. The difficult part is where do earnings level out at? A lot of people in the apparel world are seeing people trade down to better values as opposed to paying up for expensive items. Unit sales of general merchandise goods, such as apparel, footwear, toys, sporting equipment, that declined nine out of the last 10 weeks. And 43% of consumers surveyed said that if prices continue to rise, they will delay less important purchases to stick to their budget. And so that's what you're seeing. Apparel, for the most part, is not very important. And they were one of the biggest beneficiaries of consumers having money in their pocket. And they were updating their wardrobe. Now, what's most interesting about this is the luxury players, they're not seeing a lot of demand destruction. It's more in the mid and low end. And women are seeing their prices of their apparel going up a lot more. Women, on, a, <clears throat> on average, are paying 13% more for pants, while men are paying an additional 5.3%. Women tend to be more fashion conscious, so they're willing to pay up. So, some interesting stats there. Well, I'm Justin Klein. That completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I, thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we do keep track, and we're approaching 40 million in the history of Invest Talk. So we thank you for that. So get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And if you leave your question with your review, we will prioritize your answer. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein chief executive officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.